if you want to have the kind of life where you do this sustainably, you can't have a ton of clients. And, and then those people are friends. Those people aren't just clients anymore. Understand them in the way you would want to understand a friend. And, and uh, you respect them the same way. So that allows for all sorts of the normal barriers between people getting money and people giving it. Uh, that becomes a side effect. So it's, I find that to lead someone to that way of dealing with their freelance business, in other words, they've got to know whether they like to work on their own. If they don't like to work on their own, there's a couple of exit points. You can exit into an agency. You can start hiring subcontractors. You can hire people in your company and you just manage them. You can find some interesting idea for one client that you want to make a SaaS product from. And you exit that way. You might find that while you were doing this, you like design better than coding. Coding is, is changing too quickly for you, whereas the, the dynamics in, in design are more eternal. Some people think that. I don't think that's true, but you might come to that conclusion and you exit that way. But so the freelancer, it's a way of life. You've got to be happy with yourself. You've got to be happy with all your flaws. And you really have to understand how you and the client understand each other. You have to understand the dynamic that you are creating that they are agreeing to. So that's a process which is delicate and requires you to be present while you're talking with them and be present when you give something to them and always holding up that ideal that I'll get paid when they're happy with me. If that is the concluding argument of your relationship, then if you get paid, you've done a good job. So if you set it up so you get paid no matter whether you do a good job or not, that is a way of making money, but it is a way of causing an internal conflict between who you want to be and who you are. And it just festers. Yeah. It does. I've seen it. So I'm trying to find some ways to show how to go about being in a win-win situation. If you get in yourself a bad situation with a client, brand new one, it can happen. How do you save face for yourself and the client? What can you do so both of you don't feel bad about yourself? That's uh, something I could do. You know, it brings to mind that there is a tighter focus of what you're saying. I don't know if this is the right way to call it, but it's like freelancer conflict resolution. Mm -hmm. So the ultimate result is relationship building, but the entry point is conflict resolution. And I'm just thinking from a business perspective, I'm a freelancer, I got a $20,000 project and it's falling yeah. apart. I come to you, I pay you whatever, $1,000 and you help me save it. That has immediate direct financial value and at the same time, so I really like this idea of over-promising and over-delivering. Wow, uh, that's a combo. <laughs> so, <laughs> but that's, you know, that's the way how you create happy customers, right? So in your case, over-promising would be, well, not only am I going to help you save this contract, I'm going to help you revitalize this relationship so it, you know, you get further contracts from this client. So you're going to promise them to solve the conflict. What you're going to deliver is a better relationship with that client. And then what you're going to deliver beyond that, which they would have never expected, is to help them change into people who can foster these relationships by themselves and not get into these conflicts. Because you can't sell that, you know, out the door because they would not not have an idea what you're talking about but you can definitely say you know you've got a conflict it's a big project 
it's causing you stress and you're losing money. This is something I can help you with yeah. directly. And then out of that, you build kind of the mentorship coaching uh, process where you get them to a point where it never happens again and they're happy and, you know, fulfilled. And their clients And they'll probably like to do it for other people they meet. So it, it kind of passes itself down the line. Exactly. Type of exactly. Thing. That suits exactly. my goals perfectly. To have people who feel that they like to help others too. That would be a really good outcome. You know, as a solopreneur, you have to do so many things. You're guaranteed not to do very many of them well. Guaranteed. But if you allocate your time and you allocate your optimism, optimism is your agreement with yourself that you're going to be okay tomorrow. That's my optimism. I just have to get through to tomorrow. And anything above that gets you through even further. So if you're bad at accounting, you know, you got to do it anyway and until you figure something else out. And there are motivations that move you. But if you get tied up in all the side issues that don't make you money, that are causing you grief, then that can itself be quite a messy situation that, that you think you're busy, you've got lots done today, you're, you're conquering your fears, but you're losing this client because you forgot about them. So it, it, being a, on your own, it's not for the, the, the faint of heart. It's freedom, yes, but it's freedom to make mistakes as much as it is the freedom to, to do what you want. And it's not so nice to see somebody making mistakes from your point of view that you think they could have fixed early on. Now I'll backtrack a bit and say that is almost never the case that they could have fixed them early on. It's best to just find early warning signs that you're skipping meetings now or your suggestions don't get any response other than interesting. Knowing yourself is, is a big part of being a solopreneur, but knowing your customer and how they're feeling about you is much harder to do. Yeah, and you know what, listening to you, and remembering you said a few minutes ago that you don't want to bring the age thing into it. I think you're wrong about that. I think you should lead with that. I should. Yeah, I think there are very few people in the world with the range of experience as a solopreneur as you do. And I think the fact you've been doing this since before technology existed from the point of view of millennials <laughs> uh, and Zoomers you weren't exactly soldering boards to fix bugs, but you weren't very far from that. You have done that. <laughs> See, I've never, I've never debugged with a scope, right? But I know that has been done. Yeah, I, I got uh, close to that. So I definitely think that's something you should lead with. Because I imagine your landing page saying, I'm a 63-year-old software developer. I've been doing freelance work for 39 years. I'm going to teach you how to be sustainable and happy and have the freedom you're looking for. That's your claim to fame. You know, this is who you are. This is why what you have to teach is unique. And everyone who has been doing this for five years thinks they've yeah, got it. It's true. But they don't got it. They have five years of experience. It's not the same as 39 years of experience. And you've been evolving as a freelancer for this entire period. It's not like you learn for the five years and then you've just been using the same techniques. That's not true. You're still evolving. So what you have to offer is incomparable to what any other freelancing coach, if it even is a category, can offer. It's good of you to say so. The tech side, 
is usually the first thing that people say, how current can you be? Like, really, you went, you're programming 39 years ago. We're not in Fortran anymore, my friend. What good is that to me? <laughs> but it doesn't change that much. <laughs> it changes in aesthetics, but it doesn't change in kind of basic concepts of how to approach problems. And I'll be the first to tell any programmer that comes in, how long you've been programming? They say a year, you're already better than me. Because there are certain ways of approaching life when you grow up, like you mentioned earlier, and in, with the internet around, with tech solutions and, and with True. a myriad of tools available, all free. It's amenable to learning with fearlessness. And I'll be the first to That's tell you. You and I would have a bias to build our own tools and to build things yes. from scratch. Whereas a modern developer would have a tremendous bias to look everything up on Stack Overflow and download the next node package to fix it and not try to build things from scratch. Both uh, approaches have their limitations, yeah. but when building product and not technology, it makes a lot of sense to stand on the shoulders of giants. And I always, I still, to this day, I find this a difficult pill to swallow. I was like, I, <laughs> I can do it quicker myself, which is never true, but... I completely disagree with that. If I look back at my past, the things I built in at the beginning were not finished, but they were roughed in because I knew they would need it. And I could tell I got to know the business enough to set up. Oh, there's going to be invoicing eventually online, and I'm going to need to know this information inside the database. And so I put that in. Later on, when it came to put it in, I could do it quickly. So you're not going to need it is always justification to keeping the cost down, but it's not justification from the customer's point of view when they say, we just need you to add this thing in here. And to them, it seems simple. And you say, oh, wait a minute, hold on here. I have no idea you wanted. Well, yeah, you did. You did have no, an idea what they wanted. And uh, so I think that- If you understand the business well uh, enough. Yeah, yeah, if you take delight in somebody else's business, you can't go wrong. Because you ask the same kind of questions after a while. Now, why aren't you doing this online? Why aren't you doing that? And you know, it takes us back to what you were saying, that if you build a long-term relationship with a client because you've been good to them and you've actually attended to whatever small conflicts that arose and cleared that out, you can have that perspective because you can understand their business in enough depth and enough breadth over a long enough period of time for you to be able to make these decisions, even if your client is not fully aware yes. of, of the ramifications. Yes, that's true. That's happened. Right. So, you know, you've been, you, you've been working with someone for a couple of years or maybe three years, and then you just make a call, you make a judgment call. I'm going to put this in, even though I can't explain to you, my dear client, why that is necessary. And I'm putting that in because I know where you're right going. Absolutely true. And that calls into question another holy grail in the software freelancing business. It's the contract. That contract is a snapshot in time of what people understood they wanted. And if you write a big enough project, that has evolved. The time. That evolves within a couple of days, let alone a couple of weeks. And, and if sure. you stick to the letter of the contract, you will have an unhappy customer that didn't take advantage of things that happened. So I don't really hold them to that. I say, okay, whatever's on this contract, that's our guideline. We've got a budget for that. If you find something you want to swap out, swap it out. Then let me know. Now I'll give you updated whatever cost that might be, and we'll move toward that. That also engenders a bit of trust that uh, you're not holding them to their unlearned 
technical expertise, but they will learn it soon. They're going to get there, but you're not there yet. So I don't want to take over that, but I do want them to be able to change their mind. And changing their mind is, I think, a given. Everyone should be able to do that. But there are consequences, and the consequences are in the cost and the delivery time and all those sorts of things. And as long as you build in things like that, you break your project out in a way. These are things I like to show people how to do. It almost sounds like you wouldn't consider feature creep a problem. You would consider it a symptom. Mm. Feature creep usually is considered a problem because we just keep piling on things. But that just means we need to let some of the old right. hay bales drop off feature. and remove some other things because the features that are now coming in are a result of our improved understanding exactly. of the problem. And you're doing it together. You're doing all that together. It means that you are the vehicle of education. And if you do it right, then the two of you understand it. And you're talking to each other with excitement all the time. There's nothing like a project with a customer who's excited. There's absolutely nothing like it. And every conversation is an act It is. And then, like, wait a second. Let's make sure that we understand the consequences of not doing what we did before. But let's take advantage of it. And if it goes the right way, everyone's going to be happy. I, I found that to be a, a very successful, un, unlikely response that most contractors use. They're most likely want to be able to say, I know my statement at work. And I want to know when I'm done. Well, the consequence of that is you're never done. You're never, there is no done. And you're not supposed to be done because it's the opposite goal. Instead of being done with a client, you want to not be done with a client. You want to continue working with them because you're happy. They're happy. You have the safety and guarantee of having a continuous influx of work. They have the safety and guarantee of you being there for whatever happens. And it's an overall pleasant experience. And if you have three or four clients like that, you're set yeah. for life. And you don't need to worry about getting the next that's time. What I'm oh, that's amazing. Just one last question. Fixed cost or hourly or deliverables? Deliverables and fixed cost. Never, ever hourly. Hourly is there. It's because you don't understand the problem and they don't understand the problem. It's a horrible combination. But you can do a pilot project. So a pilot project is just to figure out the, the parameters, the constraints and the edges of the project. Make it quick. Make it so you understand that if it's not a good project at all, to go ahead, you can stop. Little money has been paid, but very soon go to deliverables and then have deliverables swappable. So the idea that they can get something else should always be an option. They should feel really good about changing their mind, and I want to make sure they can. This is really curious because it's neither of the, none of the options I, I thought of. So you break down the project into deliverables of, I assume, kind of medium size, whatever medium is, not too large, not too small. And you make them swappable and each one, each line has a, a price, which is coarser than working with hours. Yeah. And it's more meaningful because an hour of work is not a meaningful item and it's not a deliverable and it doesn't provide value to the customer, right? But at the same time, it's not this, well, this is, this is a $25,000 project in one go. That's because that never yeah. happens. You need some flexibility. So even with this, even with how to structure the freelancers offer, how to build a contract, how to build these exit points into a contract, how to build these swappable elements into a contract, this in its own could also be both a technique you could offer 
and a service. True. Because if there is if there is no tool that allows you to estimate, build a contract, swap in and out components to make sure that your customer is happy and to estimate somehow the value as opposed to the effort of that sub-project or of that component, and maybe even look at the dependencies between them, then this creates a framework for a freelancer to work more transparently with, with, with a customer that is not a PDF with a signature, right? It's like, a, it's like a live document. It's like a live contract. It's not a fixed thing, but it's also not a stupid kind of hourly count. Like that. And, you know, and then, and then sell it to Upwork. <laughs> <laughs> well, the idea is that the, the, the individual components, before we finish off here, the deliverables are always in the context of the client. They're never in yours. So they got to know when they want to drop something, the consequences that they were thinking they're going to lose, as opposed to uh, myself. Now, there are parts where that breaks down and where there's decisions that have ongoing implications where you've, technology you've chosen is in such a way that you can't really replace it quickly. Do these yeah, things, thing, yeah. There are things that get kind of sure. gnarly there, but to the extent you can, you let those things be known. Let them know the tech is playing a role that you decide on early. And if after the tech has been decided and the pros and cons are, are well laid out as you can, then you're dealing with the customer's part, not the tech.